The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Before I read the psalm, two things. Uh, can I give a full name or just the first name? First name, please. No, not you. So, uh, the guy back here. Okay, I, I can only give the first name. All right, we have somebody in the church now. He was here Thursday. He's camera shy, so I can't say his full name. Um, he, if you have ever listened to one of the recorded sermons on YouTube, the recorded sermons, not the uh, live that I put online, but the recorded sermons that are edited, you'll hear a voice at the beginning of the sermon. Sounds a lot like Mike Huckabee, okay? He did this. He, uh, he did the intro. He also did the old prophecy update before uh, we, we changed the format because of uh, a certain, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, internet issue during the COVID, uh, so we changed the format. But uh, he does all of the introductions. He's a guitar player. He makes guitars for a living, and uh, they are unbelievable guitars, okay? Um, I don't want to give, can I give the name of the company? No, I can't give the name of the company. <laughs> Trust me, they are great, great guitars, and they're uh, fun to listen to, they're fun to see, they're unlike, somebody did an article on him a year ago, and he is not caught up from the number of people that have been ordering his guitars. It's, it, it's amazing. So anyway, that's all I can say. I can't give you any more information, but if you want to talk to him after church, he's right back there. Okay. Very back corner. I think he's getting ready to just run out the door. So anyway, yes. And now I have, I have a question. I want you to be honest. Okay. Um, just raise your hand. Did you try the fishing back? Anybody? Okay. Did anybody not like it? Did anybody like it? Yeah. Okay, every hand went back up. Okay, and I got two thumbs up from the back corner there. Okay, uh, that is uh, that is going to be in a video next Sunday. Uh, we had a special videographer who some of you know, uh, who happens to be in the church today. Uh, he came out there and we spent many hours doing it. It's, it the video is what, five minutes long, eight minutes long? Six. It's six minutes long. But um, it, it, uh, it took hours and hours to do. It's a very tedious process. It's a lot of work. But it is the only fish that I will eat. I tell people the three things I won't eat in the world are, anybody? Tomatoes. Tomatoes, fish, watermelon. and watermelon. Tomatoes, fish, and watermelon. But I will eat that mullet, and I absolutely love it. If there's any left and you want to go try it, just go give it a shot. Okay, so having said that, we are now going to read Psalm 63 and get started. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. 
When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. When I went to Israel a couple years ago and walked with Sergio and Yossi from Jericho to Jerusalem, the words at the beginning of that psalm literally came to life. Oh God, you are my God, early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. You find out that when you are missing water, there's nothing else on your mind. That's all you can think of. And then you think of how David equated that to seeking after the Lord and loving the Lord. Uh, A second idea also that came to mind was the idea of shade. Because while we were in the wilderness... (laughs) walking to Jerusalem we it was very hot and we were walking on a very hot path with the heat radiating up back up on us and we were so tired that I had a kafiyah on the uh, you know the Arabic headdress and so I was able to stay cool but Yossi and uh, Sergio did not and so I sat by the road on a uh, you know one of those posts that keeps you from going over a guardrail post and um, they went and stood in a crag between two areas and there was this much shade and they were standing there how long were you there standing like this just to get out of the heat and you find out the the bible comes alive when you realize the state of man in relation to god and then you equate those spiritually to who god is and you you realize your desperate need for the lord so that comes to mind when i read that psalm Okay, we're in Joshua 17, 1 through 13. It's entitled, The Inheritance of Joseph, Manasseh West. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, namely, Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore, he was given Gilead and Bashan. And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Abietzer, the children of Helek, the children of Asriel, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of Shemidah. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka and Terza, and they came near before Eliezer the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the rulers, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten shares fell to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan. Because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Mikmatat, that lies east of Shechem. And the border went along south to the inhabitants of Entapua. Manasseh had the land of Tapua, but Tapua on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. And the border descended to the brook Kanah, southward to the brook. 
These cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook, and it ended at the sea. Southward, it was Ephraim's. Northward, it was Manasseh's, and there was its border. Manasseh's territory was adjoining Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. And in Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh had Bethshan and its towns, Ibleam and its towns, the inhabitants of Dor and its towns, the inhabitants of Endor and its towns, the inhabitants of Ta'anach and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its towns. Three hilly regions. Yet, the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. But the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. A portion of our verses today deal with the five daughters of Zelophehad. They were introduced in an offhand manner in Numbers 26, and then they were brought to the forefront of the narrative in Numbers 27. The particular issue concerning them was that of inheritance of land. It was a complicated matter, and that had to be settled by the Lord. The Lord's decree was given, and it completely resolved the matter for them at the time. However, the decree concerning the inheritance brought another issue to the surface that needed a resolution. If not resolved, the daughter's inheritances could cause problems for their entire tribe and, by extension, the tribal rights of the entire nation. One thing would lead to another. Without a suitable resolution, there would eventually be breakdown in the structure of the nation. Small things can lead to major problems if not thought through. It isn't that the Lord wasn't aware of these details in advance. Rather, he knew exactly what the consequences of such a matter would be. But to ensure that these things were written directly into the law, he allowed the people to think through the issues and come forward for his judgment. Our text verse comes from Acts 26. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. When Paul spoke about his conversion and the purpose of it, the Lord gave him several reasons for the ministry he had been chosen for, such as opening the Gentiles' eyes, turning them from darkness to light, and so on. But the main purposes for the individual were forgiveness of sins and the granting of an inheritance. The idea of an inheritance is having something bestowed at a particular time for an heir. The daughters of Zelophehad were told they would be granted an inheritance in the name of their father. Later, it was resolved that certain conditions had to be met in order for that inheritance to be granted. Now, because they had met those conditions, the inheritance awaits them. This is such an important issue that these girls' situation has been given more time in Scripture than many other figures of seemingly greater importance. The details are methodically recorded in order to show us a part of what God has done in Christ in typology. Because of him, we have the opportunity to obtain the inheritance set aside for those who meet the conditions set forth. The ladies came forward to claim their inheritance. They didn't go forward and say, we hope we still have this available to us. They cited the law, and that was that. 
Nothing was said of their individual lives after meeting the stated conditions because those details are irrelevant. They did what was expected of them and the matter was resolved. How many people have met the stated conditions for receiving the inheritance, received the guarantee provided, and yet walk about in absolute insecurity in their minds concerning what is granted? They hold the guarantee. If you are a saved believer in Jesus Christ, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and you hold the guarantee. It was made by God who does not lie. All they need to do is claim it when the time comes. If you are somehow troubled as to whether or not your salvation is secure, that is because you misunderstand what God did. It is not because Christ's work is somehow lacking. Don't let anyone disqualify you from the joy of knowing 100% that you are saved if you have called on Jesus. Trust the word. You are. Hints of the state in which you stand because of Jesus are found today in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his precious word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Okay, before I go on, I would like to extend what I just said in my comments beyond you. If you have a child that is not living for the Lord, and you saw that child make a commitment to the Lord when they were younger, and then that child dies, you don't have to worry the Lord has accepted that child or if that child has walked away from the Lord and is not living for the Lord you don't have to worry if that child's salvation is secure the Bible says that that person is saved if they made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ 2 Peter 1 9 go read it when you have time okay a person can actually forget that they were saved and yet God does not forget and you if you have called on Jesus, you don't have to fret and fritter as to whether you can lose your salvation. You hold the guarantee. Please remember that. Our first thought today is a lot for the tribe of Manasseh. It's verses 1 through 6. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh. And was the lot to tribe Manasseh. Manasseh means he shall forget, but also it means from a debt. He was the first son of Joseph and was born in Egypt. He and his brother Ephraim were adopted as sons of Jacob for inheritance rights. Half the tribe of Manasseh has already received an inheritance east of the Jordan, as was meticulously recorded several times. Of him, it says, verse 1 continues, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. There's an emphasis in the words, ki hu bekor Yosef, for he firstborn to Joseph. Despite having already received an inheritance east of the Jordan because of the valor of Machir, as recorded in Numbers and as restated by Moses in Deuteronomy 3, verse 15, he was also granted land along with the other tribes west of the Jordan. The reason for the emphasis is that despite Ephraim receiving the blessing of Jacob over Manasseh, as recorded in Genesis 48, he was to receive the double portion based on the rights of the firstborn. That double portion is restated next for clarity. Verse 1 continues, namely, for Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead. Machir means salesman. Gilead means perpetual fountain. As a historical point, though this is speaking of Machir, it means the family of Machir. They are being referred to as Machir for the purpose of inheritance. Machir died long ago. Further, one might think 
This is referring to Machir's son, Gilead, recorded in Numbers 26. Here's what it says. The sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the family of the Machrites, and Machir begot Gilead, of Gilead, the family of the Gileadites. However, the name in this verse in Joshua is prefixed by an article. Le Machir Bekor Menashe Avi HaGilad. To Machir, firstborn Manasseh, father, the Gilead. Therefore, this is not speaking of his son Gilead, but of the land of Gilead, the Gilead. What appears to have happened is that Machir named his son Gilead before the land of Gilead was taken in battle. 1 Chronicles 7 verse 14 says that Manasseh bore Machir by a concubine from Aram, that area. This would explain why he then named his own son Gilead, which was in the land of Aram. Gilead is the border area between Syria and Canaan. Machir may have called Gilead this to honor the union between the two people groups from which he came. It also explains why this is said in Numbers 32. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. The same place from which Machir's son was named because of the union between his father and mother, Manasseh and Manasseh's Aramitis concubine became their possession. It appears he was determined to obtain this land because of its connection to his genealogy. Thus it next says, verse 1 continues, because he was a man of war. Therefore he was given Gilead and Bashan. Gilead means perpetual fountain, Bashan means place of fertile soil. There is again an emphasis in the words, ki hu haya ish milchama vehi lo hagilad ad veha bashan. For he was man war and was to him the Gilead and the Bashan. Thus, the term father of the Gilead refers to his status as the possessor of the land. Likewise, the words father of Gilead without the article means that he is the father of the person named Gilead. He was a man of war intending to obtain this land. He fought and subdued it, and so Moses gave it to him. But he also named his son after the land. That covers what belonged to this tribe east of the Jordan. Next, the second portion will be detailed. Verse 2, and there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh according to their families. Here, a verb is used in place of a noun. Vehi livne Manashe ha notorim le mishpotam. And was to sons Manasseh the remainings to their families. As Machir obtained an inheritance east of the Jordan, and as these families intended to enter Canaan proper, giving them an inheritance west of Jordan fulfills the double portion requirement that is given to a firstborn son. Verse 2 continues, For the children of Abiezer, the children of Halek, the children of Asriel, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of Shemitah. Abiezer means my father is help. Chelek means portion or smooth. Depending on the root used, Asriel means God has filled with joy or vow of God. Shechem means shoulder. Hefer means either well from the word dig or shame. Shemitah means knowing the name or fame of knowledge. Verse 2 continues, these were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. The original is more precise. These sons Manasseh, son Joseph, the males, to their families. 
The word sons here means descendants because it is accepted that Manasseh had only one son, Machir. Therefore, these are probably grandchildren of Manasseh and sons of Gilead. Despite that, the reason for this specificity is realized in the next verses. It is a problem that arose during the wilderness wanderings, and the resolution of it required Moses to go directly to the Lord for a decision to be made. Verse 3, But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. Because inheritances are given through the male, this would cause a problem when the women married. If they married outside of the tribe of Manasseh, then the land would transfer to the son of the father and thus away from the tribe of Manasseh. As Hefer was one of the six main families, the tribe could ostensibly lose one-sixth of their land to other tribes. This could be the case at any point in Israel's future if a father had only daughters. The inheritances would become so convoluted that tribal lands would no longer truly exist. Tzalofahad means shadow of fear. Verse 3 continues, and these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza. Machla means infirmity. Noah signifies shaky girl or wandering. Chagla means turning in joy. It is akin to the word Chag, which is a festival. Milka means queen. Tirza means well-pleasing or delight. Now that the inheritance is ready, the matter previously brought before Moses and settled at the word of the Lord is brought forth again to ensure that what was decided will come to pass. Verse 4, And they came near before Eleazar the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the rulers, saying, These five women are coming to ensure the promise of the Lord would be accomplished. They were obedient to Mary within their tribe. In so doing, their children would receive a portion in the name of their father within the tribe also. Verse 4 continues, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. This was recorded in Numbers 27. It said, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. The only caveat is that these ladies had to marry men within their tribe. That judgment comprises the contents of Numbers 36. After it was rendered, it then said, Just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. For Mala, Tirza, Hogla, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to the sons of their father's brothers. They were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's family. With their obedience noted, it next says, verse 4 continues, Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. This was a huge amount of land, and so any deviation would have caused an immense upheaval in the tribal land grant to Manasseh. But 
With the decisions of the Lord rendered, the grant would remain forever unchanged. Therefore, verse 5, 10 shares fell to Manasseh. Vayiplu chavle Manasseh asara, and fell cords, Manasseh 10. Here the word chavel, or cord, is used. Cords were used for measuring long distances. Hence, it is metaphorically used to speak of a tract of land. Ten individual tracts were measured out according to their families of Manasseh. At first, the number of parcels seems to make no sense. How could there be six sons named but ten divisions of the land? It is because Heifer, having no sons, is divided among his five daughters. Thus, there are the parcels of his five brothers and five parcels for his daughters. This was, verse 5 continues, besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan. These ten shares, along with those adjoining them on the other side of the Jordan, pretty much span the total breadth of the land inhabited by Israel. They almost appear like wings in the midst of the other tribal grants because of the vast amount of land they encompass. The number of parcels being 10 is then explicitly stated, which is, verse 6, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons. For daughters Manasseh inherited an inheritance in midst his sons. The record of the entire process of this event is extremely precise since the matter first arose back in Numbers 27. The meticulous nature of chronicling this land division for the daughters is most remarkable. But it sets the precedent for all time concerning this issue, and it shows the importance of both maintaining the name of the dead as well as maintaining the integrity of the tribal inheritances according to their original layout. With this settled, the division of Manasseh on both sides of the Jordan is mentioned one last time. Verse 6 continues, And the rest of Manasseh's sons had the <coughs> land of Gilead. And land, the Gilead, had sons Manasseh, the remainings. The same verb used in verse 2 when referring to those west of the Jordan is now used of those east of the Jordan. The implication is that the tribe is not a whole without considering both allowances. Together, they form the double portion of the oldest son of Joseph, who was then adopted by Jacob as his own. An inheritance awaits us that is sure and true. It is given to all who come forward and receive. It was secured by Christ Jesus, faithful and true. It is ours for the taking, if we just believe. Calling on Jesus is what is good in God's sight. The inheritance is ours, though we did nothing it to receive. Eternal life, dazzling and bright, is ours for the taking, if we just believe. Don't fail to come forward. Hear the plea. It is waiting if you will but receive. You and all the saints around the glassy sea, it is yours for the taking, if you just believe. Our second thought today is the borders of Manasseh. It's verses 7 through 13. Verse 7, And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Mikmatat that lies east of Shechem. The actual borders of Manasseh's inheritance in Canaan are the subject of the next verses. Verses 7 through 10 detail the southern borders beginning in the east. Verses 10 and 11 define the northern and eastern borders. The first border begins at Asher, or Happy. This is not the tribe of Asher, but a location known as such. It then goes to Mikmatat, meaning concealment or maybe hiding place. 
as it is prefixed by an article, it would be the hiding place. This location rests, as the Hebrew reads, upon the face of Shechem. Hence, its location stands before Shechem. Verse 7 continues, And the border went along south to the inhabitants of En-Tapua. More literally, it reads, And went the border unto the right, unto dwellers En-Tapua. Tapuach comes from nafach, signifying to breathe or blow. It means love apple and also breath. Being preceded by en or spring, it means spring of the love apple or eye of the apple or spring eye of breath. The word for eye and spring are identical in the Hebrew. Saying to the inhabitants of en tapua is a bit odd, but it means that the city itself did not belong to Manasseh. Rather, the border went as far as those residing in the country around Tapua, where there was a spring. That is seen in the next words, verse 8. Manasseh had the land of Tapua, but Tapua on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. The wording is a bit more precise. Limnashe hayeta eretz Tapuach, ve Tapuach el gebu Manasseh livne Ephraim. To Manasseh had land Tapua and Tapua unto border Manasseh to sons Ephraim. There is land in the area of Tapua that belonged to Manasseh, but the city and maybe any land outside of it right up to the border of Manasseh belonged to Ephraim. Verse 9, and the border descended to the brook Cana, southward to the brook. The name Cana comes from Cane, reeds. Hence, it is the brook of reeds. But the reed is used as a measuring stick, coming from the verb kana, meaning to acquire or possess. Hence, I would translate the two words together as inheritance of the possessor. Of this border, it next says, verse 9 continues, these cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. It is debated if this means the cities already mentioned, Asher, Mikmatat, and Tapua, and Tapua, or if it is referring to cities on the border that descended to the river from the previous clause. Either way, the point is that there are cities that were filled with those from the tribe of Ephraim within the borders of Manasseh. This was already seen in Joshua 16, verse 9. Verse 9 continues, the border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook. The meaning is that even though the cities of Ephraim are on the north of the brook, the border of Manasseh goes to the north side of the brook. Thus, the Ephraimite cities lie within the border of Manasseh, which is north of the brook. It may be a bit confusing, but it is being stated explicitly so that the details are recorded and the ownership of the cities is defined. Verse 9 continues, and it ended at the sea. Vehi totsotav ha and his outgoings the seaward. It means that the border continues until it reaches the sea. Verse 10, southward it was Ephraim's, northward it was Manasseh's. Again, to ensure the border is perfectly understood, it restates the matter in another way, using the brook as a reference. Negva le Ephraim ve tsafona limnasheh. Southward to Ephraim and northward to Manasseh. This despite the location of the cities that are occupied by the people of Ephraim. Verse 10 continues, and the sea was its border. It is speaking in the masculine of Manasseh as a person, and was the sea his border. The land represents the person, Manasseh, as much as the tribe fills the land. Next, verse 10 continues, Manasseh's territory was adjoining, 
Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. There is an emphasis in the words, Ube Asher yipge'un mitzafon ube Yisachar mi Mizrach, and in Asher impinged certainly from north and in Issachar from east. The border of Manasseh followed the sea from Ephraim as far as Asher where they impinged upon one another. It then went eastward until it reached Issachar. From there it went around Issachar and would have come to the Jordan where it went southward to Ephraim. Verse 11, and in Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh had Bethshan and its towns, Ibliam and its towns, the inhabitants of Dor and its towns, the inhabitants of Endor and its towns, the inhabitants of Ta'anach and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its towns. Issachar means he is wages. Bethshan means house of ease or house of security. Ibliam means devouring the people or the people flow forth. Dor means to dwell. But it is identical to the word translated as generation, as in the time period of one's dwelling. Endor would be the spring of Dor. The meaning of Ta'anach is uncertain. Some think it is derived from an Egyptian word, others from an Arabic word. There's no corresponding root found in scripture. Megiddo comes from Gadad, to penetrate or cut. Hence it signifies invading or intruding. Verse 11 continues, three hilly regions. The words are complicated. Shloshet ha-nefet, three v'nafet. Nafet is variously translated as counties, regions, coastal districts, heights, villages, and so on. People really aren't sure. Some translations punt, and they make it a name. The third is nafet. It comes from nof, meaning height. So it is probably three heights or hilly regions. The point of the verse is to show that just as Ephraim had cities within Manasseh, so Manasseh had cities within Asher and Issachar. The repeated words, the inhabitants, means that contrary to the word of the Lord, those who dwelt in the cities and their villages were not exterminated as stated in the law. Verse 12, yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. And no able sons Manasseh to dispossess the cities, the, these. This is the same thing said of Judah in Joshua 15.63. Saying they were not able almost makes it seem excusable. That continues to be the perception in the next words. Verse 12 continues. But the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. Vayovel ha-Kana'ani la-Shevet ba'aretz hazot, and determined the Canaanite to dwell in land the this. They were determined, so Manasseh had no choice but to live with them. This shows both a lack of trust in the power of the Lord and an unwillingness to ask other tribes to simply assist them in destroying the natives. This is perfectly evident from the next words. Verse 13 finishes with, and it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Yeah. The word Canaanite is singular, and there is an emphasis in the Hebrew. And was, when strong, sons Israel, and gave the Canaanite to forced labor, and dispossessing, no dispossessed him. If they were able to make these people submit to forced labor, then they were able to exterminate yeah. them. They just didn't. Like the tribe of Ephraim that we saw last week, this became a marriage of convenience for Manasseh and of inconvenience but acceptable tolerance to the Canaanite.
giving thanks to God who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. It is a done deal through our Lord Jesus. Of losing it, there is just no chance. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Without Christ, there would be no hope. What a mess. But because of him, assurance of glory reigns down from above. In him we have redemption through his blood, and in him there is the forgiveness of all of our sins. Come to Christ and be immersed in the cleansing flood. Come to Christ, who for you the victory wins. Our third thought today, an assured inheritance. The first verse of the chapter reintroduced Machir and his inheritance east of the Jordan. That was stated again to ensure there is no doubt that the inheritance west of the Jordan is distinct from the east of it. Verse 2 begins to detail this inheritance of Manasseh, which means to forget, but it also means from a debt. Mentioning him anticipates Christ, who came to pay Adam's debt and who in the process allowed that debt to be forgotten before God. The verse also mentions that Manasseh is the son of Joseph, or he shall add. Christ is the one who adds those to be saved. Joseph also means take away. Christ is the one who takes away the reproach of those he saves. The inheritance west in Canaan is given to six sons of Manasseh. The number six signifies man, especially fallen man. These six sons anticipate Christ who came in the form of sinful man. But the focus is on the fifth son, Hefer, or shame. Five is the number of grace. Hefer anticipates Christ who bore our shame in order to redeem us. From there, Zelophehad, or shadow of fear, is named. He had no sons, only daughters, and they are named in the text. He anticipates people who have no inheritance, thus they live in the shadow of fear. And yet, the Lord guaranteed them an inheritance by his word and according to law. That same Lord who secured the inheritance through his work also fully rendered the payment for the inheritance. He grants it to those who, seemingly deprived of it, are exalted to the obtaining of it. The law provided the path for Zelophehad's name to be continued and to ensure that the inheritance would not fail. This is seen in the names of those in his family. Zelophehad represents those born in sin, in the shadow of fear, as Hebrew says. Inasmuch then as the children had partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. This state of fear of death brings forth mala, or the sickly, infirm person, bound in sin. There is a state of pain because of the fallen condition in which man exists. Such a person, like Cain, is left in the land of wandering, represented by Noah. This lasts until the person finds Jesus Christ. At that time, hogla, or turning of joy, enters into the picture. And in that turning of joy, in obtaining the inheritance, royalty is bestowed upon that soul, represented by Milcah, or queen. In Revelation 1, this is recorded. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In this state, and as inheritors of the divine promises of God found in Christ, his people are found well-pleasing to God, represented by Terzah. 
These five came before Eliezer, or whom God helps, and Joshua, or the Lord is salvation, who is the son of Nun, meaning propagate or increase. The names tell the story. They reflect the Lord in the various roles he serves in order to increase the family of God, securing the inheritance for them. The daughters remind these men that the Lord commanded Moses to give them an inheritance among their brothers. This implicitly expresses the doctrine of eternal salvation. They were given the promise. The conditions were met. The law was satisfied according to the word of the Lord, and they have come to collect the inheritance. It is well reflected in Ephesians 1, where the giving of the Holy Spirit upon belief in the completed substitutionary work of Christ brings about the guarantee, the pledge of salvation. It is a pledge granted to the one saved and payable by the one who gave it. This explains why verse 3 began with a listing of the genealogy of Zelophehad, naming Hefer, Gilead, Achir, and Manasseh. Those of Manasseh on both sides of the Jordan descend from Manasseh's son, Machir. The root of Machir is Machar, to sell. It is used in Isaiah 52, just before the words about the coming suffering servant, saying, For thus says the Lord, You have sold Machar yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. It is man who sold himself and Jesus who redeems us. That then explains why the chapter began with the inheritance east of the Jordan. Machir inherited the Bashan, the place of fertile soil, and the Gilead, the perpetual fountain. Being the only son of Manasseh, he actually inherits both land grants, which went to Manasseh as the firstborn of Joseph. The fertile soil is the word of God. The perpetual fountain anticipates the spirit ceaselessly coming forth. This is how the inheritance comes about. Hearing the word, receiving the spirit. The inheritance west of the Jordan was then noted as being 10 shares. 10, according to Bollinger, implies that nothing is wanting, that the number and order are perfect, that the whole cycle is complete. The inheritance is not wanting in any way. It is complete. This is why it's specifically recorded that it was because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons. Without this, the inheritance would be incomplete. But it is perfect. It is a resounding note of the wholeness of the work of Christ. With this understood, the verses after that define the borders of Manasseh, each anticipating the work of the Lord in one way or another, as has been the case with the previous tribal allotments. They also noted the overlapping cities with the tribes they border. Each of these certainly has typological fulfillments, the meaning of which will surely include the work of Christ and its effects on his people, focusing on the guaranteed inheritance of the saints. Now, how do I know that is certain? I'm not going to give you the information from it, but I know it's focusing on the guaranteed inheritance of the saints. Because if you go back here, and the border descended to the brook Cana, southward to the brook, is translated as inheritance of the possessor. All of the words were from last week except a few of them. So I didn't want to re-give you all of this information a second time. There's a few new names. If you just look at them, you know what's going on. It's very clear. 
And the other reason is because we're going to go through so many tribal allotments in the next five chapters, and you're going to see typology go on and on. Every single border points to Christ. You've already gotten enough of this one from last week, so I focused on the first half of this. But I'm giving you this information so you know that this is true. This is certain because many of the same names, as I said, were used as in chapter 16. Historically, the record is necessary to properly define the land, the borders, and the possessions for tribal inheritances. As for the final verses that detail Israel's failures concerning the inhabitants they did not drive out, those are necessary to explain why things in Israel later continued to fail as they did. Each of these recorded failures is actually a violation of the law of Moses. As such, it shows the collective guilt of the people. Because of their guilt, the Lord would send corrective measures which temporarily returned them to the right path, but time and time again they fell backward into their waywardness. As such, each cycle only further emphasized Israel's need for a Messiah. The nation could not save itself, nor could any individual within the nation save himself. The law highlighted the fallen nature of man and the guilt he bears for failing to measure up to God's perfection. But remember, these people had received their inheritance. Despite that, the failures continued. That is a lesson all by itself for each one of us. We have received our inheritance in Christ. And yet we, like Israel, still fail the Lord. Does everybody feel that way from time to time? Amen. I feel like it every day of my life. We need his salvation until the inheritance is finally realized in its fullness. It is faith in Jesus that grants the inheritance, and it is Jesus' sustaining salvation that guarantees it will come. This is the lesson of Israel. God covenanted with them, and he has continued to sustain them all these years because of his faithfulness. In Christ, God has covenanted with us, and he is faithful to uphold that even when we fail. Amen. Thank God for Jesus who makes this possible. We have a sure and marvelous hope set before us because of what he has done and what he continues to do. Yes, thank God for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It is so wonderful to see these things. All of these borders, I remember I brought it up once before, I'm going to embarrass him again, and I'll continue to do this with each border sermon, is when I started into Joshua, Sergio said, I dread you getting to the borders. How are you ever going to write a sermon on that? Do you remember that? He does. You wait to see what's coming in the borders of Zebulun, okay? It's coming not too long from now. We've probably got another six or seven sermons. When you get to Zebulun, you're going to say, that is amazing. I mean, they're all amazing, but it's great. Next week, we only got four verses, and it's going to be just great. I'm telling you, this word is so rich. Despite the seeming tedious nature, when you break it down and you see what God is showing us about Jesus, it's unbelievable. Time and time again, he does this. And this is the point of why he's doing this, is because he wants us, one, to seek out his word. He, gave, he spent thousands of years through men of God sending us this message so that we let it sit on a shelf and gather dust. Mm -hmm. That's not why he gave it to us. He gave it to us so that we would read it, that we would assimilate it into our lives, and we would contemplate the glory of what he has done in the giving of his son. Then it all comes down to a simple message. We know John 3, 16. We know that God gave his only begotten son for us, but Paul explains the ramifications of that after the cross in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. He tells us how to receive, how to appropriate what Jesus spoke of in John 3, 16. He tells you, 
that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again the third day according to Scripture. He told us that that is what he wants us to believe. He doesn't heap anything else on the poor sinner except that. You believe this message and you will be sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. And that sealing is yours. It belongs to you. You have the right to claim. Just like when you have a deposit at the bank and you go there, that is your money. They're holding it. It is your money. You take it in and you claim it. Unless you're in Lebanon. Right now they're having all kinds of trouble. There are people in Lebanon right now going to banks and holding them up to get their own money out of the bank. And then they go out to the cops and say, I did this because it's my money. You have a right to what you possess. Coming soon. Coming soon all over the world. That's right. So keep these things in mind. If you have not called on Jesus Christ, the subject and the object of this entire book, please do it today. Be forgiven of your sin debt. Be reconciled to God through his shed blood. And then live for him. Learn this word. Learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? Our closing verse comes from Psalm 55. It is verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Eternal salvation. That is what this book teaches. Next week, it's just, it's five verses. Joshua 17, 14 through 18. Out of nothing, just a clean slate, it's entitled, You Shall Create. That'll be your 35th Joshua sermon. I mean, amazing things in God's word. Amazing. I hope you enjoy that sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who has defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Now, I've got a question for you, and I'm going to allow you to give me one of two answers, or if you're really, really in the Bible, you may be able to give me both. That's fine. You still only get one thing here. Okay. Do we have to raise our hand? Uh, no, because I'm, sh- well, yeah, you better, because somebody's going to get one or the other, and I'm not going to be able to focus. Raise your hand and say it, okay? Um, uh, now, I'm going to read you our text verse again. This will help you understand what I'm about to ask. Okay. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The first words, I will deliver you from the Jewish people. Okay, we're speaking of deliverance here from enemies. Okay. I mean, I didn't write the question down. I just, um, uh, yes. Okay, here we go. Who in the book of Jeremiah was by the mouth of the Lord himself given their life as a prize. You get it. You didn't raise your hand, so, but there you go. She didn't raise her hand, but nobody else even was close, I guess. Okay, there are two people. The first is in Jeremiah 39, 18. I'll read you that right now. That was very good. Mom got it. That is wonderful. And it was kind of a question. She wasn't really sure, but I'm giving it to her anyway because she was right. Baruch? Yeah. Okay, so uh, Jeremiah 39, verse 18. All right. It says there, For I will deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be as a prize to you because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. A Gentile. A eunuch. 
who could never be accepted into the assembly of Israel was given a personal promise by the Lord through Jeremiah. The second one is found in Jeremiah 45, verse 5. It's the one that mom guessed at, even though she got it, okay? Verse 45, and you know what? I'm going to read you the whole chapter because this is the shortest chapter in Jeremiah, and it is such beautiful words. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch the son of Nerea, when he had written these words in a book of the instruction of Jeremiah the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. You said, Woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. I mean, the place is being torn apart by the Chaldeans. There's destruction, there's famine, there's everything else, and he's a little worried about his state. Verse 4, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, behold, what I have built, I will break down, and what I have planted, I will pluck up. That is this whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them, for behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord, but I will give your life to you as a prize in all places wherever you go. The Lord himself spoke to the scribe of Jeremiah, reading his heart and understanding his woeful state. What a great God we serve. People take this book and they trash it. They tear it apart. They deny it. They say it speaks evil in this way or that. They don't have any idea of the wonder that God has given us in these precious pages. All right, got a poem and we'll be done. This is The Inheritance of Joseph, Manasseh, West. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, a deal not too bad, namely for Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead. Because he was a man of war, he got his war game on, therefore he was given Gilead and Bashan. And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, as the record does convey. For the children of Abiezer, the children of Halek, the children of Asriel, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of Shemitah also. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families, as the records show. But Slophahad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. Boo-hoo. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza too. And they came near before Eliezer the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the rulers, saying, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers, so they were conveying. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, such was his druthers, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten shares fell to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, a place not so bad, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Mikmatat, Urah, that lies east of Shechem. And the border went along south to the inhabitants of En Tapua. Manasseh had the land of Tapua, but Tapua and the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim, according to the book. And the border descended to the brook Cana, southward to the brook. These cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. That's how it turned out to be. The border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook, and it ended at the sea. Southward it was Ephraim's, northward it was Manasseh's, and the sea was its border. Manasseh's territory was adjoining Asher on the north and Issachar on the east, according to the tribal order. And in Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh had Beit Shan and its towns. 
Ibliam and its towns, the inhabitants of Dor and its towns as well, the inhabitants of Endor and its towns, the inhabitants of Ta'anach and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its towns, three hilly regions, locations pretty swell. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. But the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land, so Manasseh failed, no doubt. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this precious word you have given us. It reveals the wonder, the marvel, the majesty of Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for the giving of your son, for the payment that we all owe, the sin debt that we could never pay on our own. Instead, we'd be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity, separated from you, and instead you drew us near through the precious blood of our Savior. Thank you for Jesus Christ, and it's in his precious and beautiful name we pray. Amen.